privilege today. Um, and these are topics that typically the church stays away from. And we can all understand that, right? You know, when you're with family or with people that you've just met, there are two things you don't talk about, religion and politics. And that's what we're talking about. So the church stays away from them. Um, but we want to dig in because we believe that, that really having these conversations allows us to be a better community and allows us to continue Jesus' mission of transforming the world. So part of the reason that, uh, that these are difficult is because we don't all agree on them, right? Because otherwise, if we did, we'd bring them up at family dinner if we all agreed. Um, so I just want to get it out now that you're probably not all going to agree with me today, which makes me nervous. One of my strengths is harmony. I love uh, people all being on the same page, mutual understanding, everyone having their voice heard, everyone agreeing. I don't like confrontation. So I just have to know, and you guys, you know, can know this too, that we're not all going to agree on this. But we believe, as a church, as a community, that we can disagree on topics like this and still worship together. That we can disagree on topics like all of these that we're talking about and others, and that we can still pray together and still work for good in the world together. So that's our hope. So if you disagree, I hope that you can stay in the conversation, that we can have this conversation, and that we can still pray and worship and work together. So last week, Joe gave us a way to think about why we disagree. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast if you get a chance. Um, it really goes through these in depth. But um, he talked about the way that we think about what's right and wrong is really where we disagree on some things. So he goes through uh, these five what he calls moral foundations. So care and harm, fairness and reciprocity, in-group loyalty, authority and respect, and purity and sanctity. So if you're starting from a place of care and harm, the way that you think about what is right and wrong is going to be different from someone who is starting from a place of purity and sanctity. So we're coming at these issues all from different places. And so even as I preach, I know that I'm coming at these from a different place than you guys have ever thought about this. So I encourage you, if you want to dig into those more, um, listen to the podcast. But even though we disagree, and we're all coming at this from, sorry, from different <laughs> perspectives, as Christians, Jesus calls us to still love one another. Even though we disagree, that does not exempt us from love. We still have to love one another. The second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is love your neighbor as yourself. Think about your neighbor, your next-door neighbor, I can almost guarantee you don't agree with them on everything 100% of the time. Almost guarantee. I remember my neighbors growing up, my parents would get in tiffs all the time. But if we follow Jesus, you still have to love your neighbor. And love like this is supernatural. It only comes from allowing God to transform our hearts. So last week, Joe gave us uh, this way to understand kind of where we're all coming from. But he also gave us some memory verses that we um, are memorizing as a community over these next several weeks. And so I just want to look at those again today. We're using these verses as a way to remember that it is God who is working in us and to remind ourselves that we represent God when we have these conversations with other people. Because I can guarantee these, type, these topics come up in more than just here on Sunday morning. So we're all memorizing these three verses, Romans <laughs> Oh, I gotta stop turning around. I'm sorry. Romans 12:2, Ephesians 4:29, and James 1:19. Has anybody memorized them? Can we say them together? Well, okay. I'm gonna say them. I wrote them down just in case I like mess up. So, so Romans 12:2. I'm gonna try not to look at it. Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So be don't conform to the world, but be transformed by God in the renewing of your mind. Okay, Ephesians 4.29. I don't think I wrote this one down right, because I couldn't figure out what Joe's verse was, but let's try it. Ephesians 4.29. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, 
but only, <laughs> but only what is helpful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Okay, the last one's shorter. James 1.19. Know this, brothers and sisters. Everyone should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to grow angry. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to grow angry. All right, we still got a couple weeks. You're fine. I'm still memorizing them too. All right, so... I saw this exercise in, in an article that I read a couple weeks ago, and I want to try it out here. So again, audience participation is welcome. Um, so say that a space alien teleports into, uh, the article was about a classroom on a college campus, but say a space alien teleports into this church, like just sits down right there, and this alien says, greetings, he says to all of us stunned churchgoers. He says, I'm interested in studying life on your world and want to stay here a while. So then he asks us a question. I want to enjoy my time here, so what features should I have to be successful on your planet? So what features, audience participation, what features would be helpful for this alien to enjoy its time on earth? Money, Friends, phones. <laughs> what physical features? Tall. tall, yes. It's good to have tall friends, I tell you. Finn learned that earlier this week. Tall. I know, we don't want to talk. We don't want to say it. Oxygen is helpful. <laughs> so the students in the, because you guys are not giving the answers that I want you to give. But the students in this article said some of their examples, examples were be tall, um, speak English, need to know English in order to be successful anywhere really in the world, um, attend a good college, be a man. Yeah, hmm, yeah. So what this, so the, the professor that was doing this uh, at, you know, asked the question after they went through this exercise, what would it mean to be the opposite of these? What would it mean to be the opposite of these? If this is what we think it, it takes to be successful, what would it mean to be the opposite of these? So there's a huge elephant in the room in America. Uh, white and black, black and white, racism, racial tension, privilege. We can't deal with race and privilege in one sermon. This is obviously a much larger conversation. Um, but we want to start it here at Central City because it's something that so many people are wrestling with every day. Almost every day there's a story about racial tensions across the country. The Black Lives Matter movement that was born four years ago last week, actually, it's, it's you know been around that long, which which surprised me, um, but it intensified those types of conversations. It made headlines every day with marches and protests, and it's no secret that this march is controversial. Once the Black Lives Matter hashtag came out, there was a hashtag that came out, All Lives Matter. There was a hashtag after um, there were shootings of police officers. There was the Blue Lives Matter hashtag that came out. It's no secret that this is controversial, and this is not an easy subject. I can tell that everyone's blood pressure is just like, <laughs> gone up. Mine is too. My heart is racing because this is a really difficult conversation to have. But conversations about race and privilege almost always elicit these strong responses in us. We get defensive. There's guilt and confusion. We don't know what we're allowed to say or not allowed to say. But we're going to talk about this here. And the purpose is not to place blame or guilt on any one group of people or any, on any person for what happened in the past, but really we want to focus on recognizing our responsibility to figure out what to do for the future. This is still a problem today, so what is our responsibility in moving forward as a church, as individuals? What can we do? 
I love the passage in Revelation that paint, it just paints a beautiful picture of, of heaven being a place where every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to worship together. And I think that if we're, if we're going to be worshiping together in heaven, we might as well start the conversation here on earth about what it would look like if we are all worshiping together. And it's no secret that Sunday morning, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. is the most segregated hour of the week. Churches are not exempt from this. So I don't know where you stand. I don't know what your experience is with racism or privilege or the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know if you believe there's racism or not. I don't know, um, I don't know where you are. But as we dig into current headlines, headlines about racism are everywhere. It would be easy to just not talk about this, but I think Jesus is calling us to something different. Racism is a sin. It is evil. It is not of Jesus. And we have to be able to say that out loud and believe it before anything is going to be done to move forward. If we believe that racism is a sin, that it separates us from God, then we should be doing everything we can to break those chains of sin. So the question that the Black Lives Matter movement brings up is, do black lives matter? There's a, there's a community of people that are, that are claiming black lives matter, and they're, they're asking us to consider, do black lives matter to the rest of the world? Do black lives matter to people who are not in this community? And of course, all lives matter. We are all beloved children of God, all of us. And so, but that's not the question that we're wrestling with here. We're wrestling with the fact that black lives have been treated poorly in the past, slavery, Jim Crow, and so on. This group of people is asking us to honestly consider the lives of black people. And this brings us to developing a theological anthropology. I know those are like big words. Theological anthropology. Anthropology is, of course, the study of humanity, its cultures and systems. Um, and there are many different types of anthropology in the social sciences field. But a theological anthropology asks, what is a human from a theological perspective? What is a human from the perspective of God? So, of course, we go to scripture. I'm going to be going through a, a lot of different scriptures here, so you can either write them down um, just so you have them, or um, they're all going to be on the screen, so you'll be able to read through them, but I'm just going to be going through several here in this sermon. So we read in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. God created humans in his own image. According to scripture, we are all image bearers of God. Every single person in this room, in this world, bears the image of God. God created us, each of us, on purpose. Our skin color, our, our accents, our hair color, our body shape and size. God did this on purpose, and all of it bears the image of God. So this means that in order to fully see God, we have to be able to see the image of God in each person. If we reject a person for any reason, we are rejecting the image of God. So we bear the image of God, but we also see in Scripture that we live in a broken world. Just a couple chapters after we read that, God, that we are made in the image of God, sin enters the world. And we now live in a broken, sinful world. Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have all fallen short of the image of God that is in us. And sometimes, I know this all too well, sometimes it is so hard to see the image of God, to recognize the image of God in me and in others. Sometimes sin hides that image so well that it takes so long to recognize 
God's image. But the next verse right after this, Romans 3.24, says, says all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but the good news is that Jesus has redeemed us, that we no longer have to hold on to that sin or live in that brokenness, but Jesus has redeemed us by his work on the cross. So we know that because of the cross, we can overcome that brokenness. We can find that image of God that's in us again. Now, you and I all know that that it doesn't feel like that right now. There's so much brokenness in the world. Everyone can agree that the world is not as it should be. So even though Jesus died on the cross and that work has been done, we haven't realized that fullness of the work yet. And so we continue to see the division and the pain that comes from this sin. So we've forgotten the image of God that's in us. And we've forgotten the image of God that's in the black man that that was shot. We've forgotten the image of God that's in the Syrian woman who's fleeing from her war-torn country. We've forgotten the image of God of the Hispanic children who have to grow up away from their, their country and their families. You see, when we begin to see everyone as image bearers of God, we begin to see people differently. And we begin to extend grace to one another just as Christ did for us on the cross. Ephesians 4, chapter 2, 14 through 16 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. I love that image. He broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. Jews and Gentiles were completely separated. Jews were uh, religiously and culturally the people of God. Gentiles were not. Any, anybody that wasn't Jewish is a Gentile. They're completely separated culturally, religiously, and more by what they ate, by where they worked. And they did not associate with one another. They did not cross paths unless they absolutely had to until the cross, until Jesus came and broke down that wall of hostility, until Jesus made it clear that he came for all and all are children of God no matter what. Another group of people in scripture who are completely separated from the Jews were Samaritans. So so Samaritans would be considered Gentiles, but specifically they they were a group of people that they used to be Jews, but long ago when the Jews were exiled to other lands, this one set of of Jews stayed behind in Israel. And so they ended up marrying other people. So people that came in to take over Israel, they ended up marrying Babylonians and Assyrians. So they were they were half-breeds is what Jews would consider them. They weren't fully Jewish and they were doing they were eating and and worshiping differently. And so the Jews completely separated themselves from the Samaritans. So Jesus, or Jews, did everything they could to stay away from these Samaritans. They became outcasts, but Jesus does something different, obviously, always. So let's look at John chapter 4. I want to I um, stay here for a little bit. So John chapter 4 is a story about a Samaritan woman. Verse 1 through 4 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now let's look at a map. We're going to look at this map of Samaria during Jesus' time. The green part is Samaria, and then the purple dot is Judea. So he's probably somewhere in there. And the green dot up at the top is Galilee. So typically, you know, we know that the straightest, the fastest distance between two points is a straight line, right? We learned that in geometry or something, I don't know. But my dad would always say it. The fastest distance between two points is 
a straight line. So you would think that you would just go from Judea, walk straight up to Galilee, but that is not the case. Jews and Samaritans do not associate with one another. So they would more often than not take a route that looks like this. They would cross the Jordan River, go into another country, and then go back into, Gal- back into Galilee. Isn't that insane? Just to not associate with a certain group of people. You would, you would add all that distance to your trip. But, but John 4, 4 says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is typical Jesus, though, right? If we know anything about Jesus, he, his need to go through Samaria is more about God's mission than anything else because Jesus loved people. So continuing on in John 4, uh, verse 5, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into, t- into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's literally in scripture. That says that. Parentheses. Jews and Samaritans don't associate with one another. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. They'd been rivals for generations, for centuries. But Jesus, in only a way that Jesus can do this, instead of reinforcing the division, he says in his own way, Samaritan lives matter. He says to this Samaritan woman and to all the women in the town, to all the people, to all the Samaritans in the town, Samaritan lives matter. They matter enough for me to walk where People don't typically walk. If we remember the Ephesians verse, Jesus brought peace. He united people. He broke down that wall of hostility that separates us. So he has this this conversation with this Samaritan woman, this beautiful conversation. We're going to skip to the end of that. We're going to go to uh, verses 39 to 42. So Jesus has this beautiful conversation with this woman, and because of this conversation, she runs into the town and tells everyone about Jesus. So, of course, everyone's like, well, who is this guy? I want to come see. So verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, she, said, she told everyone, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. This is so beautiful. If we are willing to cross these boundaries, if we're willing to associate with people who are different, who knows what could happen? Many could come to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that's our mission. Jesus walked to to a place that people don't associate with, and he stayed with them. He didn't just, like, walk and, like, here you go. This is is what God wants you to know. All right, I'm going to keep going on my way. No, he stayed. He stayed with them for two days. And he talked to all of them. He had to have, like, slept in one of their houses. He had to have eaten their food. And many believed that he is the savior of the world because of this interaction. Now, Jesus knew the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. He knew the differences in worship, and he he knew the oppression that many Samaritans faced because of the segregation from the Jews. And he was born into a Jewish family. He had privilege that these people didn't, and he knew it. But he didn't hold his privilege over this woman. He sat down and he talked to her. I saw this definition for privilege a couple weeks ago. Privilege is having access to resources and opportunities that others don't have access to. Now you can be privileged for a lot of different reasons and your privilege is based on, typically, on your social location. 
Your social location is your place or position in society and in history based on your gender, race, social class, age, ability, religion, sexual orientation, and geographic location. So your social class is based on all of these things that you can't change. You can't change the, the race that you were born. You can't change the gender. You can't change your social class. You can't change uh, the, the house that your parents, the neighborhood that your parents have a house in. You can't change whether you have both parents in your house or not, which is privilege to have two parents in your house. That's privilege that sometimes we don't recognize. Now, privilege does not mean that your life is easy, that you won't have trouble. Anyone can experience poverty. Anyone can endure chronic illness. Anyone can have trouble finding employment or adequate education. Anyone can experience that. What privilege does mean is that within all of those struggles, your race wasn't an additional obstacle. Or in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about your gender wasn't an additional obstacle. Tim White, in his book, White Like Me, says it this way. He says, to be white is to be born into an environment where one's legitimacy is far less likely to be questioned than would be the legitimacy of a person of color, be it in terms of where one lives, where one works, where one goes to school, or pretty much anything else. When I say or do something, I am believed. People listen to me, and people believe what I say. And this is not always true for people of color. At the foundation of our country, people of color were viewed and treated as inferior, less than human. They were treated that way by people in power. So then those people in power began making laws and creating systems of government and finance and society that excluded people of color because they viewed them as less than human. Now, those systems and laws and structures were created, were made intentionally to benefit people of uh, lighter skin color, Anglo descent, And they were also created to oppress minorities, specifically Native Americans and Africans. And then as other minorities started to come to America, they were roped into that. And after so many generations, we who have privilege, we see those laws as non-biased. Those are just the laws of our country. That's just how that works. Don't you know? That's, that's just the way it is. We just have to, we have to live into that. There are still mortgage lending practices that are discriminatory towards minorities to maintain segregated or mostly segregated neighborhoods. You still have to mark, and it's not optional, even if it says it is, you have to mark your, your race on the application for a home. And that determines whether you get the, the mortgage. Our schools in lower-income, mostly minority neighborhoods do not have the same opportunities as wealthier schools, but we all know that education is the main avenue to be lifted out of cycles of poverty, and yet we see disparity. Now, privilege gives me the ability to go about my everyday life without worry that I'm going to be judged or that I'm going to be questioned. I can walk into any store in the office building, and because I'm white, I won't be questioned. People will assume that I belong there. Security guards won't be called. I know that I have privilege. I know that I'm complicit if only because I benefit from the systems in America. But even with my privilege, I have to, because I follow Jesus, I have to keep my eyes open to see ways in which Jesus is calling me to be better, to be different, to travel roads that historically my people haven't traveled. So I have to ask myself, and, and, I, and I think that we should ask ourselves as a community, what is our responsibility? We're a mostly white church. We have white leadership. We're in a mostly white neighborhood. 
What is our responsibility in this, in this issue? What is my response when I see headlines calling out racial tension? What do I do when I can see clearly my privilege at play? As I was praying about this, I think that there are two responses that we should have as a church. I think the first is to lay aside our own privileges. And this is really hard. This is not easy. But I think that we need to lay aside our own privileges. This is how uh, Paul, the, the apostle, he put it in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. So Philippians 2, he writes this, this hymn about, about Jesus. And first he says, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, this is the message version, so it might sound different. If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to help a lending hand. And this is how he shows the example of Jesus. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all, he says. Jesus, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is what Jesus did when he talked to the Samaritan woman. He didn't think of himself. He didn't try and cling to his advantages that he could take the longer road. He laid that aside, and he walked to where he knew the people were. He talked to her like a real human and loved her, and this changed everything for her and for her entire village. And Paul knows that it's not easy to do. He says it's an incredibly humbling process. I was talking to someone earlier, and, and she described this as, um, you know, we're all on this spectrum of where we are when it comes to, to, to racism, privilege, when it comes to any of these issues. We're all on this spectrum, and we can't move from one end to the other like this. We can't just, you know, oh, well, I, I'm over here, but, oh, I heard this sermon, so now I'm here. This is an incredibly humbling and difficult process to be able to move in a direction. I think that's how, how everything is with Jesus. But we can't ignore the diversity that God has created. We can't ignore that image of God and other people. So how can we lay aside our own biases and assumptions and recognize that image of God? What are the privileges that you could lay aside, even if it's just being able to listen to a person's story? What are the privileges that you could lay aside? So our first response is to recognize and lay aside our privileges like Jesus did. The second response that really was stirring within me is to mourn. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Daniel. He was an Israelite. He was also a trusted government advisor for the Babylonian government, um, it, which was a government that had taken Israelites captive. So in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel realized that an earlier prophecy that was written about the Israelites was coming to an end. So uh, the prophet Jeremiah had written that God would not allow the ca captives to return to Israel uh, for 70 years. And Daniel knew of this prophecy and knew that that 70-year period was coming to an end. And so he started to, to be worried for his people. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes is, is a way of saying that he was mourning, that he was, he was putting himself on the ground, lowering himself and humbling himself before God. So on behalf of the entire nation of Israel, Daniel turns to God to pray and to fast. 
It goes on with what Daniel prayed. He confesses his sins and the sins of the Israelites, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your laws and commands. Now, this type of prayer was common during exiles. You know, they, they were living in captivity. They weren't at their, in their homeland. And it's important to note that prayers like Daniel's for national forgiveness prayed on behalf of an individual. These um, were usually resorted to in times of danger or distress. So Daniel is recognizing the distress that his people are under and the danger, the potential danger that they have ahead of them. And so he prays on their behalf. He's fasting and wearing sackcloth, asking for forgiveness. And these were essential aspects of facing a crisis, calling on God to act on the community's behalf. Fasting is a form of spiritual warfare. Now, if we believe that racism is a sin, and we believe that there are powers and principalities outside of what we can see that are acting in this world, then we need to do whatever we can to break those chains of sin. Fasting is a form of spiritual warfare. We're calling on God to intervene in the battles that are seen and unseen. It's a call on God to act when the odds seem overwhelming. And we can see that over the past few years, racial tensions have been growing, that the division between white and black America is increasing and becoming more touchy than ever. No one wants to touch it. The problems seem to be growing, not shrinking, and it seems overwhelming. And I don't think we're going to be able to move forward as a nation or as a church until we recognize and confess the sins of the past. You and I were not directly involved with committing these sins. And Daniel was probably the most devout man who ever lived besides Jesus, and yet he says, we have sinned. We may not have committed intentional acts of racism, but we have benefited from the systems and the laws that reinforce the privilege of white people. So fasting and mourning like Daniel seems like an appropriate response to the division that race is causing in our country and in our church. Now, Daniel chapter 10 is beginning a new vision that Daniel is dealing with, but it describes how he fast, fasted and, and mourned. So I want to read that. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. It says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. What if we fasted? If even from choice food like desserts or alcohol, what if we fasted as a church and really prayed and, and went to God pleading for his direction in what we should do as a church, as individuals, maybe even praying for our leaders in our country? It's so easy, especially as people who have privilege of not experiencing racial discrimination, it's so easy for us to just ignore the problem or ignore that there is a problem. We, I'll just go to the stores and the restaurants and the schools and the churches that, with people that look like me, and I'll just you know, ignore that, that there are different people and that they're experiencing different things. I, won't, I don't, won't have to deal with the race issue. But if we hear the stories of our brothers and sisters who are hurting, broken, crying out for help, crying out for us to recognize and hear and believe their stories, then we have to do something. It may seem overwhelming. It may seem like the odds are completely against us, and that's exactly how Daniel felt. So he went to God and pleaded with him. He fasted. He mourned. He confessed. And I think as a church, we should take some time to fast, to call out to God, to seek God's direction. An article I read put it this way, we would rather pretend race doesn't exist than to do the hard work of reconciliation for how sin has damaged the way image bearers relate to and treat one another. Our love for Jesus and our theology call us to do better. We need to recognize the way that sin has damaged the way that we relate to one another. Jesus calls us to. Currently, the church all over the world is in a time of fasting called Lent. If you grew up in church, 
specifically a lot of Catholic churches, mostly Catholic churches do this, but it's a church thing. Um, so if you grew up in church, you might have participated, maybe like not eating meat on Fridays or giving up chocolate or pop or something like that. Social media is a, a popular one now. There are four more weeks in Lent. And as we talk about racial privilege this week and other deeply rooted issues over the next co- coming weeks, um, would you consider fasting with us? Just as a community that we would fast together, maybe it's not the full four, four weeks. That would be crazy. But maybe it's one day a week. So I'm going to be fasting on Mondays over the next four weeks. Would you consider fasting on Mondays with me? Maybe it is from social media or maybe it's from a specific, um, you know, thing that you really love like ice cream or, you know, something like that. Um, Maybe it's just a way to remember that we're calling out to God, a way to put ourselves on hold, to humble ourselves and to seek God. In our communion liturgy, um, there's a beautiful prayer of confession that reminds me of Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. So I want to read this together. It's on the screen, or it's going to be. Um, So I want you to have time to read it, and then I want to read it together. And this is kind of just our way of of confessing um, whether we feel like we need to or not. I think we all have something to confess at all times. So I'm going to give you a chance to read this, and then we'll read it together out loud. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear this good news. Christ died for us while we were sinners. That proves God's love towards all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now Jesus frees us for joyful obedience. I know this is a lot. I know that it's weighty. Uh, But I I truly believe that this is just the beginning of the conversation here in this community. I I really believe that we need to continue talking about this. And we can't fix racism in in one sermon. We can't even dig in as much as we need to. Um, And there's still a lot to process. So if you brought your journal from last week, I forgot mine back there. But if you you brought your journal from last week or you picked one up or you have something to write with, um, I have just a couple... uh, reflection questions uh, that I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on this week. So if you want to take out a journal or something to write with, um, you can write these down. I'll give you time to write them down, and they'll be on the screen. So the first question is, what comes to mind when you think of God's image in each person? Do you treat yourself and others as if they carry God's image? What comes to mind when you think of God's image in each person? The second one is, what are some privileges you have due to your social location? Remember, your social location is your race, your gender, your social class, your age, where you live. And the last one is, why is it so difficult to give up your privilege? So I encourage you to uh, spend some time this week reflecting on those. Um, If you have questions or if you want um, to yell at me or (laughs) share your thoughts with me, um, my email address is on the website, and I'm going to spell it out for you because my name is hard to spell. Um, But my email address is Alyssa, A-L-L-Y-S-S-A, 
at centralcity.co. So you're, I, would, I will welcome your feedback. Um, we're, we're also going to have um, some small group resources online. Um, so if you're in a small group and you want to have this conversation with your small group or even with your family or friends, um, those will be available on our website. And I also have some resources for fasting. So if you are interested in fasting with me over the next several weeks, um, I put together some resources just based on my experience with fasting um, that are found, that will be found on our on our website. So it's centralcity.co backslash podcast is where you can, where you'll be able to find those. I don't think they're up now, but they will be up shortly. Um, so let's pray and the band is going to come back up and uh, close us for the morning. So let's pray. God, you love us. You love us no matter what. And sometimes it's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that even in the midst of um, the brokenness in the world and the brokenness that I see in myself, it's hard to remember that, um, that you love me no matter what. Sometimes it's hard to remember that you love uh, the people that I interact with every day. Sometimes I think, how can anyone love that person? But I know that, God, that your image is in every single person. So, God, I pray that you would give each of us the the strength and the awareness to begin treating people as if they carry your image. God, I pray that as we go through this week that, um, and with all the challenges that, that I've presented this morning, that you would, um, that you would really speak to our hearts, that you would uh, give us grace in the midst of um, this conversation and uh, in our everyday lives. Um, that we would be able to see you at work in our lives and in the work, and you at work in the lives of those around us. Uh, we just love you, and we want we want to um, be more like you. We want to be more like who you've created each of us to be. Um, so we just ask that your Spirit would go with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
to your river. In a broken world with broken people, uh, we remember in our baptism that uh, we are washed clean. And uh, even in the midst of a world that is at sometimes at war uh, with each other, God invites us into a new life and where we can experience reconciliation and we can watch our sins go down the Jordan, so to speak. And we remember that in our baptism. And uh, if you've never been baptized or if you want to you know, recommit your life and remember your baptism, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Um, as we bring this service to a close, uh, I want you to know that uh, God loves you deeply. And uh, because we know God loves us, we know that God loves the other person across from us, next to us, in the neighborhood next to us. And uh, we get to be conduits of that love. So go and love others as God first loved you. Peace of Christ be with you.